2010 years ago, more or less, a baby was born in Bethlehem. This baby was destined to change the history and course of the entire world for all times. He was born contrary to the laws of nature. He was born the earthly child of a heavenly father. A child who was born to amaze the world. He lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He crossed the boundary of his homeland only once, and that was in childhood. He had no wealth, nor influence, nor formal training or education. His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. But yet in infancy, he intimidated a king. In boyhood, he confounded learned doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the waves and he hushed the billows to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and charged no fees for his services. He never wrote a book, yet not one of all the libraries of the world could hold the books that have been written about him this child that was born in such a lowly fashion. He never wrote a song, yet he has been the theme of more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, yet all the schools together cannot boast as many students as this one has, this one who was born in such a lowly fashion. He never practiced medicine, Yet he has healed more broken hearts than the doctors have healed broken bodies. He never marshaled an army or drafted a soldier nor fired a gun. Yet no leader has ever made more volunteers who under his orders have made more enemies stock arms of surrender and that without a shot being fired. Who is this baby? Who? is this man. He is, of course, Jesus Christ. God's unspeakable Christmas gift to the world, sent from heaven with love. He could be no other. He was the original Christmas gift, the greatest gift of all. My friends, this we must never forget as we celebrate Christmas. Jesus is the heart, the essence, the cause, and the true meaning of Christmas. In fact, he is Christmas, Christmas. And unless Jesus is real in and to our hearts, our celebration of Christmas is a farce and a sham. In fact, it could even be sacrilege to celebrate Christmas without Christ. Sacrilege in the sight of the holy God who originated Christmas in the first place. Jesus Christ, this babe, born in such a lowly fashion, is uniquely wonderful. Christmas is to remind us then that this babe, this man, Jesus Christ, is entirely and absolutely different, unique, from any other individual ever born or to be born on the face of this earth. He is unique. The prophet Isaiah states it well. 
His name shall be called Wonderful. For that's exactly what he is. He is the Wonderful One. He is a wonder. This Jesus Christ, born in such a lowly fashion. He is the one great wonder of both heaven and earth. No one else has or ever will approach his caliber. He is in a class all by himself. He has no second. He is utterly, absolutely, and uniquely wonderful. Hear the words of the prophet Isaiah. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Notice, Jesus Christ is a gift. He is given. He is human like us. He is a child born. But he is also a divine gift. He is the son of God who was given. Robert G. Lee expresses this miraculous, awesome Christmas gift sent from heaven with love like this in a poem that he calls the infant of days. In eternity, Jesus Christ rested on the bosom of the father without a mother. In time, he rested on the bosom of a mother without a father. An uncreated divine person who had eternal pre-existence. He took the form of a created being and became in time what he was not in eternity. Flesh. He was the great creator, born of the creature, woman. And God who in Eden brought forth a motherless woman from the body of a man in Bethlehem's barn, brought forth a fatherless man from the body of the woman. And Christ, the ancient of days, became Jesus, the infant of days. I couldn't have said it better myself. Jesus is a wonder. That's why we could call him wonderful. Jesus was wonderful in his teaching. No man ever uttered such wonderful teachings as this man. They were so simple that the common people heard him gladly. And yet they were so profound that no philosopher or wise man has ever sounded the depths of the teaching of this man we call Jesus. They were handed down to unlearned and ignorant fishermen. Yet they have endured for over 2,000 years. His teachings have been translated into almost every language under the sun. And they have transformed human lives so that entire nations have been lifted out of darkness and degradation by the power of his teaching. And before this humble Galilean peasant, the greatest scholars of the world are forced to bow their heads and confess, never, no never, has any man ever spoken like this man. But he's not only wonderful in his teaching, he is wonderful in the way he lived. No other man has ever lived such a wonderful life as Jesus lived. He validated what he said by the way he lived. He never had to ask God to forgive his sins because he never committed any. His character was without blemish. It was spotless. It was perfect. His enemies watched his every move like a hungry hawk. But yet, the worst thing that they could say about him was that he did good on the Sabbath and that he had allowed a sinful woman to come near enough to him to touch the hem of his garment. He's wonderful in his life. 
but he's also wonderful in his character. There never was a character so wonderful in his universality. Jesus was born to a given race in a given time to be sure. But this wonderful one has transcended his race, transcended his time. And he has become the ideal of every race, of every age, of every time. This man, born in such a humble way. What a slap this is in the face of evolutionary and humanistic exponents. Because, my friends, if Jesus was merely a man, as so many so foolishly insist on reclaiming, then by every law of evolution and progress, this 21st century should have produced a better and a more wonderful man than Jesus Christ. And we are now in the 21st century, and no one, no one has yet appeared more wonderful than this man. What is evolution waiting for? Chance? There is no chance by any stretch of the evolutionary haphazard mindset that chance would accomplish such a miraculous transformation of the human species and produce someone better than this man born in such a lowly means. I therefore boldly, confidently challenge any man anywhere at any time to show me another man anywhere on this planet or for that matter any other planet in the universe who can ever begin to compare with this man Jesus Christ this wonderful God man who walked like a giant among the pygmies of earth as Charles J. Rowe so eloquently puts it the fountain of his fullness never fails the reservoir of his resources never recedes the wisdom of his words never wanes. The vigor of his virtue never varies. The burnish of his beauty never blemishes. The luster of his love never lessens. And the, pro the powers of his power never perishes. That's my Jesus. What a man. What a Christmas gift. Wonderfully unspeakable. This is the one whom God sent from heaven with love on that first Christmas over 2,000 years ago. This is the one of whom Paul explained, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. But yet sad to say, none of us really know this unspeakable gift as we ought to know. Because I believe that if we did know who the gift of God was, none of us would refuse to receive or accept him from the extended outstretched hands of a loving God. Then after receiving this wonderful gift, if you really know him for what he is, none of us would ever stop worshipping him as we should. If we only knew the gift of God. Oh, if you only knew the gift of God, you would receive him immediately and you would worship him forever. This unspeakable gift proves that God is the world's greatest lover. True love is always expressed, always demonstrated in some form or fashion. Because true love cannot be totally explained or even verbalized. It must be demonstrated. It must be seen by the manifestation and demonstration of loving activity towards the one that is loved. In other words... 
The true lover always shows his or her love toward the one he loves by specific actions. Usually by his generosity and liberality, liberality in the giving of gifts. And in many instances, not all, but in many instances, love can really be measured by the worth, the value, the cost of a gift, either materially, personally, or simply, as we say, sentimentally. Paul, I believe, must have gotten a deeper understanding and greater grasp of the worth and value of Jesus Christ when he penned these words in Second Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Have you ever seen a child open a gift to find something far exceeding his or her wildest imagination? Something, although they wanted desperately, never really thought they would ever receive it? Have you seen, or at least can you imagine, the expression of wonder, amazement, surprise, and joy, all wrapped up in one, as he or she tries desperately to blink back to tears. Words seem to be an impossibility as they look into the eyes of the one who was giving them this gift that they just could not believe they'd received. Even adults, when they receive something they just never imagined they would receive. You know the expression, oh my, oh my word, oh my gosh, wow. Or as young people would say today, off the chain. <laughs> now, if you ever experience such an event, or if you can imagine such an event, then you'll be able to eat, to enter somewhat into the deep emotional experience of the Apostle Paul. The experience he must have been going through when he penned these words. His heart becomes full. His breath is held back in his throat. His great mind fails the choice descriptive words that he's looking for. And so, from an overflowing heart, the only thing he could cry out was, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. But now why is Jesus called unspeakable? The answer, I believe, will give us some idea as to the value and worth of Jesus Christ. In human terms, which in turn will give us, I believe, some idea of the tremendous love God the Father has for each of us. The love that caused him to send Jesus Christ from heaven with love to us on that first Christmas night. I believe Jesus is unspeakable because he is infinite. He's infinite. He is infinite in his person. In his wisdom. He is greater than Solomon and his name is Wonderful Counselor. He's infinite in his essence. He is the mighty God. He's infinite in his existence. He is the everlasting father, the father of the ages. He's infinite in compassion. He is the prince of peace. He's infinite in character. He alone is worthy to be called wonderful. Yes, Jesus is infinite in his person because he is called wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. The Prince of Peace. And I say to you, because he bears these infinite names, he is unspeakable in his person. And God, I say, sent him from heaven with love for you and for me on that first Christmas. But Jesus is also infinite in his power. 
He's the creator of the universe. Jesus Christ has always been co-ruler with the father of all creation. And even during the 33 years he walked upon earth. He's the author of creation. As Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that has been made. And in John, the apostle says in chapter 3, By him were all things created that are in heaven, in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or things. All things were created by him and for him. Jesus, I says, is the creator of all things. He's the creator of the universe. But not only is he the creator of the universe, the verse goes on to tell us that he is the sustainer of this universe that he created. Verse says, he is before all things, and by him all things consist or are held together. In other words, my friends, Jesus Christ, the first Christmas gift, is the sustainer of the universe in which you and I live. He holds it together by his omnipotent power and by the very presence of his person. If it were possible for Jesus to be done away with completely, to be annihilated as some foolishly claim that he was at the cross, then, my friends, the entire universe would collapse. Everything around, above and below us would crumble into dust. And yes, even the dust itself would disintegrate into nothing. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the sustainer of the universe that he created. Without him, there would be nothing. He holds it together by the word of his power and the power of his word. But not only that, Jesus is the ruler of nature. He is the master of the elements of nature. See him, see him. As he stands on the bow of a tossing ship in the midst of a terrible storm, and the fearful hearts of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. With three words, three words. He stilled the mighty tempest. He calmed the troubled sea. And he drove all fear and doubt from the hearts of his disciples. He said, peace, be still. And you know what? It was so. It was so. Who is this man? That even the winds and the waves obey him. He is God's unspeakable gift to you and to me. He it is who turned the water into wine and made the lame to walk, the dumb to speak, the blind to see. Can there be, my friends, any doubt that this man, this Jesus, my Jesus, my Christmas gift from God, can there be any doubt that this one who was sent from heaven with love is unspeakable? He is the omnipotent, almighty Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the only true potentate. I say to you, therefore, that Jesus is unspeakable because he's infinite in his power. But that's not all. Jesus is unspeakable because he's indescribable. Viscount Rutherford the discoverer of the Aram. In one of his lectures he gave on the subject said, and I quote, The terms we utilize to describe small things such as little, tiny, and might are far too 
big in their suggestiveness for expressing the nature of the atom. Charles J. Rose, the author of the poems I'm using in my message this morning, quoting Rutherford, says this, It is even more true that the word colossal, massive, and gigantic are far too small in their descriptiveness to convey an adequate estimate of the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. Listen to how the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, attempts to describe the indescribable one in Revelation chapter 1. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair was white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Then I saw him, this one he couldn't describe. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Do you see it? John could only say what Jesus was like. He could only use symbols to describe him. He could not express his true essence. He saw him, but he didn't see him. He saw him, but he could not describe him exactly, precisely. He could only compare him with what he already knew, what he was like, not what he actually was and is. He is the indescribable one. In the words of C.J. Rowles again, what mortal can describe his peerless person, his infinite being, his almighty power, his glorious beauty, his divine nature, his boundless grace, his unsurpassing love, his marvelous miracles, his infallible teaching, his unfathomable sufferings, his inexplicable death, his triumphant resurrection, his glorious ascension to the right hand of the majesty on high. Who can really describe this indescribable one? And I ask, who can describe his glorified humanity? No man, no angel, no principality, no power, no one on earth, under the earth, or in the heavens above. The Bible itself, my friends, uses practically every letter in the alphabet in an attempt to describe the indescribable one. And even he himself says, he is the Alpha and Omega, the A and the Z, or for others, the A and the Z. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is all that there is. There's none beside him who is truly wonderful and infinite. He is the origin. He is the conclusion. He is the complete revelation of God. When God spoke in Jesus Christ, he spoke everything he had to say. Hundreds of titles 
are given in the Bible in an attempt to describe the innumerable aspects of his divine nature and perfect humanity. Jesus is called the author of salvation, the ancient of days, the anchor of hope, the beginning of creation, the bread of life, the balm of Gilead, the creator of all things, the captain of salvation, the chiefest of ten thousand, the day spring from on high, the door of the sheep, the day star to arise, the everlasting to everlasting, the eternal God, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, he came to save his people from the sins. He is called Christ because he is God's anointed one, prophet, priest, and king, chosen especially by God the Father. And he was sent from heaven above to earth below on that first Christmas with love for you and for me. Again, as C.J. Rose puts it, to his name there is no norm. To his fame, there is no finality. To his claim, there is no confine. To his love, there is no limit. To his honor, there is no horizon. To his beauty, there is no boundary. To his truth, there is no terminus. To his mercy, there is no measure. That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus who was sent from heaven above to earth below as the first Christmas gift for you. And for me, I say he is the Father's Christmas gift to you, sent from heaven with love. And so I ask you this morning, do you really know him? Do you know the gift of God? Do you have him? Do you love him? Do you cherish him? Do you worship him? Jesus is unspeakable because he's indescribable. But Jesus is also unspeakable because he is invaluable. He's invaluable to the Father. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was eternally the Father's daily delight. Listen to these words of Solomon as he personifies wisdom, which of course in turn is a symbol of Jesus Christ himself in Proverbs 8. Verses 22 and 20, from verse, Proverbs chapter 8 from verse 27. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above the fix and fixed securely the foundation of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters could not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, there I was, the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. That's Jesus speaking of his eternal relationship, intimate relationship with his Father. My friends, Jesus was the source and joy of the happiness in the heart of the Father. His eternal presence in the courts of heaven was the cause of the entire smile on the lips of God. The eternal smile on the lips of God was caused, generated by the presence of the Son in His bosom. He was the song of the Father's heart, the beat 
of his father's heart. Together they flung the sun, the moon, the stars into the orbit. Together they planted the trees and placed the seas and provided the beasts of the field, the fish of the seas and the birds of the air. And they provided the food for them. Together they fixed the seasons, summer, winter, springtime and harvest. Together they planned and executed the plan for man's salvation. Both the Father and the Son, yea, the triune God, had to suffer infinite agonies for you and for me to be saved. The Father suffered for a time the loss of his Son, the source of his joy and delight, the smile of his lips and the beat of his heart. That's when Jesus left the portals of glory on that first Christmas to suffer the judgment and commendation of condemnations of man's sin in his place. And even during this time on earth, the Father had to tear the heavens apart and shout to the world, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Yes, my friends, Jesus is invaluable to the Father, yet both of them agreed that he had to forsake heaven and give up the outward manifestation of his glory in the Godhead to take the stupendous stoop of becoming a man in order to die for his race. And he, who fixed the laws of the universe, the universe became subject to those laws. He for whom everything was made became poor. He who enjoyed the presence of the only supreme deity rubbed shoulders with sinful flesh. He who was worshipped by heaven's myriads of angels, seraphim and cherubim, became an outcast, despised and forsaken of man. He was spat upon, he was ridiculed, he was jeered, he was made to be ashamed. He who knew no sin was made a sin offering for us. He who was spotless, blameless and pure took upon himself the dirty, vile, corrupt sin of the entire human race. And he who knew nothing but the smile of God's face and favor was abandoned by him. At least he felt abandoned by him while he was being judged for the sin of the world on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why? Why hast thou forsaken me? He who was the light of lights was engulfed in the darkness of darkness. He who was the hope of the world cried out in desperation on the cross, My God, my God, why, why hast thou forsaken me? He who was the resurrection and the life died under the load and judgment of your sin and my sin. The wonder of wonders. Jesus did not remain in the tomb. He was triumphant over sin, over death, over Satan and over hell. The third day he arose to be seated at the right hand of his father on high. And so well might the song write upon the words, Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Living he justified freely forever. I say then, this makes him, Jesus, not only invaluable to God, but also he's invaluable to man, to you, to me. He's invaluable to the Christian. Jesus is the source of the Christian's power. Without him, we can do nothing. He's the source of the Christian's victory. That's why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
He is the source of the Christian's holiness. Paul says, he, Christ, is our sanctification. He is the believer's link with heaven. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it shall be done for you. He is the believer's peace, the believer's hope, the believer's joy, the believer's provider. Jesus is the believer's all in all. He, I say, is invaluable to the Christian. In fact, without him, there'd be no Christian. That's why he's invaluable to the unsaved. Those of you who do not know him as Savior, those of you who do not know the gift of God, he is invaluable to you. This infinite, unspeakable gift of God is the only source of your salvation. The word of God is clear. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which you can be saved. That name is Jesus. He came to save his people from their sins. No matter what other name it may be, if it is not the name of Jesus Christ, that name cannot offer or provide you with salvation. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. Beside him, there is no other. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. No other, no other, no other. He alone is the source, the provider, the means of salvation. He's invaluable to the unsaved. The scriptures, my friend, clearly teach that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death or separation from God. But the scriptures also plainly emphasize that in spite of our condemnation because of sin, God still loves us. He loves you and me, the sinner. The Bible says he demonstrated that love. For in that while we were still sinning as sinners, Christ died for us. That's why Paul could add to the statement, the wages of sin and death, the wonderful truth that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God. And that gift was first given on that first Christmas over 2,000 years ago. That's why the redeemed of every generation along with the Apostle Paul could shout from the corridors of time, Thanks be unto God! Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable, his unspeakable, his inexplicable, indescribable gift. Friends, Jesus is the world's greatest gift because he is given by the world's greatest lover. And that's God the Father himself. Hear once again the words of C.J. Rose. Christ. The gift of God outstrips all estimates. Artists cannot depict him. Orators cannot describe him. Culture cannot appraise him. Bankers cannot value him. Earth cannot equal him. Heaven cannot match him. And angels cannot compare with him. No scales can weigh his worth. No tables can measure his value. And no standards of calculation can append a cost to so priceless a gift. That's Jesus Christ. That's God's indescribable, unspeakable gift to you, sent from heaven with love on that first Christmas. I say, Jesus Christ is absolutely unspeakable, 
indescribable. And to truly keep Christ in Christmas, we must recognize and acknowledge this fact by accepting Christ as Savior and worshiping always as Savior and as Lord. Because, my friends, this morning, after some 210 years, God the Father is still offering the unspeakable gift to whosoever will. To you who are still without Christ, the gift is still being offered. Friend, take it from one who knows. Jesus Christ is still the best Christmas gift you can ever possibly receive. He was sent from heaven with love as God's first Christmas gift to the world. If you do not have him yet, will you receive him now? If you have already received him, then I implore you, show that you know who he really is this Christmas by worshiping him as you should in a way you've never done before. He is God's unspeakable gift to you, sent from heaven with love. Let's worship him as such. So I ask you, do you know him? Do you really know him? Do you appreciate him? This gift, this indescribable, this indescribable Unspeakable one. Friends, let me ask you once more. Do you know him? The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the lostest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. 
He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen.